Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Before we begin today's story, I just want to tell you about an online event I'll be doing this weekend. If you follow me on social media, you may already know about it. I'm going to do a live stream event on Facebook of me recording Nanny Piggins Saves Christmas for this podcast. I'll do it all on video so you can see me doing the whole thing. It'll be a lot of fun. You'll be able to see my office and meet my dog. It's going to be super cool. Now, The thing is, (laughs) I've had to change the time of this event by one hour, and I'm very sorry. I'm sorry to mess you about, but I realized I doubled book myself. You see, I've written a nativity play for the local church, and um, it's just a lot of fun to watch the kids do the show, so I didn't want to miss it. So I'm going to move this live stream event back one hour, just by one hour. So anyway, if you're going to tune into the event, forget what I told you on social media a couple of weeks ago. These are the new times. It's going to be on at 1 p.m. on Sunday, the 13th of December, and that's Sydney, Australia time, 1 p.m. on Sunday, the 13th. So now you've got – if you're somewhere else in the world and you're working out what time that is for you, just be aware that if you're in America, the time difference between Sydney and America is so great that it'll be a different day, not just a different time. So if you're in LA or the same time zone as LA, the time you need to tune in is 6 p.m. on Saturday the 12th. And then in New York, it's Saturday the 12th at 9 p.m. And if you're in the UK – It'll be, oh, sorry about this. It's 2 a.m. for you. So I suggest if you're in the UK, just get a good night's sleep and listen to the recording the following day. It'll be there on Facebook. You can get up and listen to it and watch me while you um, eat your breakfast. Okay, so I hope wherever you are in the world, you can work out your time zones from that. Just double check. It's 1 p.m. Sunday the 13th, Sydney time. Just make sure you get the right time and the right day. That's key. Okay. So I hope you can join me. I'll post the new details on Facebook and Instagram so you can see it written down. I know I like seeing things written down. Okay, now we've explained all that. Let's get into today's story. It's a Friday Barnes mystery, and it's a really good one I've got for you. It's The Case of the Incriminating Trousers. Okay, this story is from Friday Barnes 8, Never Fear, and I'm going to read to you Chapter 13, Examination Day, which leads into the case of the incriminating trousers. It was Wednesday of Dr. Belcrady's third week as headmaster when the time came for Ian to take his exam. It was actually going to be three exams spread over three days, first maths, then English, and finally science. Friday had planned to wish him luck when she saw him at breakfast, but he was sitting at a table spooning cereal into his mouth while doing last-minute cramming. It looked like he was revising mathematics formulas, so she didn't want to disturb him. "'Are you going to go over?' asked Melanie, when she noticed the direction her friend was looking. "'I was going to, but it looks like he's busy,' said Friday, helping herself to a pancake. She looked back at Ian. "'I don't want to distract him when he's trying to concentrate.' 
She put another pancake on her plate and glanced back again. Besides, I don't believe in luck, and I don't see how making hypocritical statements would be helpful. You're just being a coward, said Melanie. Friday turned and looked at Ian again. I suppose I should say something, but what? You don't have to say it with words, said Melanie. You know, some people think a kiss is lucky. I don't see how, said Friday, looking perplexed. Saliva is full of bacteria and viruses. How can increasing someone's exposure to disease be lucky? Some people are worth the risk, said Melanie. Hmm, said Friday, considering the matter. I suppose it would be an acceptable level of risk if you had plenty of vitamin C in your diet to ensure that your immune system was working optimally. She put more pancakes on her plate. You've got to say something to him, said Melanie. You can't keep standing here picking up pancakes. You've already got 15 on your plate. Friday looked down and realised Melanie was right. My mind wandered, said Friday. She used the tongs to put 12 of them back. Boys have that effect, said Melanie. I know, I totally forgot to do my maths homework last night, just because Harrison smiled at me. Really, said Friday. Also because I fell asleep shortly afterwards, said Melanie. It's hard to do homework when you're asleep. All right, I'll do it, said Friday, stealing herself for action. She handed Melanie her tray and walked over to Ian. He was engrossed in his studies. Ian, said Friday. Ian looked up, but his eyes were glazed from the intellectual fog of mathematics. Friday cleared her throat and launched into speech. Uh, You're going to do really well. You're a brilliant thinker and a hard worker, and your innate self-confidence will serve you well in the standardised examination format. Ian looked puzzled. Are you wishing me luck, he asked. No, I don't believe in the concept, said Friday. I'm telling you I have faith in your ability to excel in the examination. Thank you, I guess, said Ian, although it never would have occurred to me that you didn't have faith in me until now that you said it, because that inherently implies that you think it's a possible option to not have faith. Melanie came over. What are you doing? she asked Friday. I think I've lost control of this conversation and communicated the exact opposite of what I meant, said Friday. Melanie sighed. Why can't you have just wished him luck? Apparently she's too principled, said Ian. I don't know, said Friday, throwing up her hands. Words, words, words. I mean the ones I say. I know what they mean because I've read the dictionary several times and apparently I managed to say things I don't mean. Is she having some kind of breakdown, asked Ian. I think so, said Melanie. Let it out, Friday. It's good to express your emotions. Friday took a deep breath, ready to get it off her chest, but then she couldn't think what to say. She knew she was having feelings of worry about Ian being kicked out. She was having feelings of confidence because she knew how smart he was, that he would do well. She was having an excess of feelings generally. The fear of asbestos was probably contributing to that. But she didn't, for the life of her, know what to say about it all. Pah! she said eventually. Obviously, this didn't say what she wanted to say, but it did convey some of her meaning. Then she grabbed Ian by the collar and kissed him on the lips. Ian was too shocked to speak. Melanie was too thrilled. Friday had apparently forgotten the English language. She looked at Ian, nodded, and walked off. Ian turned and watched her go. He watched until she disappeared into a marquee with Binky and a group of Year 12s. He reached up and touched his lips. Did that just happen? he asked. I hope so, said Melanie. Otherwise, I'm having some really full-on hallucinations and may need to see a psychiatrist. Chapter 14. The Case of the Incriminating Trousers Forty-five minutes later, Friday was finding it very hard to concentrate in English. Mrs. Cannon could have been talking Portuguese for all she knew. Her mind was totally absent from the conversation. She could hear Mrs. Cannon's voice, but she wasn't following a word she was saying. 
Friday was thinking about Ian and what she'd done and the weird feeling on her lips. She didn't think about her lips much normally unless she accidentally bit one or something heavy slammed into them in PE. Suddenly there was a sharp pain in her ankle. Friday looked down. She realised the pain had been caused by Binky's foot. He'd kicked her. Friday looked him in the eye. He waggled his eyebrows meaningfully at Mrs Cannon. Mrs C is asking you a question, said Binky. Really? asked Friday. What question? Voce de lui alguns bons livros ultimamente? asked Mrs Cannon. Friday frowned. Is she speaking Portuguese? She's been speaking Portuguese all lesson, said Binky. She's practicing for her next vacation. And because Mr Cannon says it makes her sound alluring. Are you all right, Friday? asked Mrs Cannon. I know you get a lot of head injuries. You look like you're suffering a concussion. No, said Friday. Then she thought about it for a moment. At least I don't think so. But perhaps I hit my head then forgot. That can happen if you get hit hard enough. She's fine, said Mirabella. She's just daydreaming because she snogged Wainscott in the dining tent. There were gasps from everyone in the class now, not the least from Mrs Cannon. Finally, cried Mrs Cannon. Tell us all about it. Actually, don't tell us about it. Romance must maintain its mystique. Plus, I have a very vivid imagination, so I can probably imagine it better than it actually was. I was just wishing him luck, said Friday. I believe under those circumstances it's traditional. Oh, you poor sweet girl, said Mrs Cannon. You go back to staring out the window. We won't bother you again for the rest of the lesson. In fact, I'm not going to bother you again for the rest of the year. You automatically get an A for finally kissing Ian Wainscott. No, make that an A+, plus because he really is seriously good looking. And that type of thing deserves top marks. Give her a round of applause, everyone. The class clapped. Friday blushed as red as a beetroot and went back to staring out the tent flap. She was so distracted by her first romantic conquest, it took her a few moments to realise that someone was standing in the tent flap, staring back at her. It was Parker. Psst, said Parker. Psst. Friday stared at him blankly. She was too addled to figure out how to respond. Do you want something, Parker? asked Mrs Cannon. You sound like a leaking bicycle tyre. Sorry to interrupt, said Parker sheepishly, but Barnes needs to come with me. There's a mystery for her to solve. Who needs me this time, asked Friday. Wainscott, said Parker. He does, asked Mrs Cannon excitedly. For more kissing? I don't know, said Parker. Dr Belcrady was yelling at him at the time. I think it's more trouble related than kissing related. Maybe he's got himself in trouble as an excuse to see her again, suggested Mrs Cannon. Quick, Friday, hurry to him. Wainscott needs you. Friday got up and walked out of the tent. Don't worry, I'll pack up your things, Binky called out to her. Friday had completely forgotten that she had things. She just nodded and followed Parker. She heard Mrs Cannon address the class behind her. Right, I'm giving you an assignment, said Mrs Cannon. I want you all to write a 500-word essay on what it must be like to kiss someone as good-looking as Ian Wainscott. As she approached the tent with Parker, Friday could hear Dr Belcrady trying to talk in a quiet, reasonable voice. Unfortunately, quiet, reasonable voices can often be so much worse than yelling angry voices. Angry people calm down, but reasonable people hold their resolve. Friday couldn't make out what Dr Belcrady was saying. Something about contact your parents and follow in protocol. As Friday stood in the doorway of the tent, she saw Mrs Quinn, a nice retired teacher who was always brought in to invigilate exams. And there was Ian. He was much less measured than Dr Belcrady in his response. Fine! I don't need this school! I don't need you! He screamed at Dr Belcrady. Mrs Quinn, who was standing next to her, holding several papers, looked thoroughly shocked. 
Friday had never seen Ian so upset. His face was red and screwed up with anger. Here, take them, he yelled. Take your evidence. Use it to get rid of me. Then Ian did something that really shocked Friday. He started unbuckling his belt and taking off his pants. Friday's first instinct was to cover her eyes. She hadn't expected to encounter nudity. What's going on? asked Friday, trying not to look, but unable to resist glimpsing Ian between her fingers. His pants were around his ankles and he was hopping on one foot to pull the trouser leg off over his shoe. Terrific! shouted Ian. Now my girlfriend is here. My humiliation is 100% complete. He ripped the other trouser leg off, threw the pants at Dr. Belcrady and stormed out. Wayne Scott, get back here, said Dr. Belcrady, following him to the doorway. She yelled after him. You cannot speak to me that way. You're only making matters worse for yourself. Ian spun around and glared at her. Friday mentally noted that standing there, face contorted with rage and wearing nothing but a shirt and boxer shorts, Ian still looked amazingly good. Worse, cried Ian, his voice cracking with emotion. There were tears in his eyes. This is it. It can't get any worse than this. He turned and ran. Dr. Belcrady hurried after him. Friday was left standing next to Parker, totally stunned. Parker was the first to break the silence. So, uh, he began, did Ian just say you were his girlfriend? I think so, said Friday. She was unsure how she should feel about this development. The kiss was one thing, but the G word made her feel even more tingly and confused. Oh, that's a shame, said Parker, slumping. It is, asked Friday. She'd not expected this reaction. Yes, I always thought you and I were, said Parker, looking meaningfully at Friday. Well, you know. What, asked Friday. She was totally confused. You know, kindred spirits, like-minded, peas in a pod, said Parker, that one day the two of us would, you know, get together. Friday was stunned. Oh, no, Parker, I want to be crystal clear. That was never, ever going to happen. Oh, right, said Parker. He was taken aback. I don't want to be mean, said Friday, but I do want to be clear. Never, ever. Got you, said Parker. Don't worry, no offence taken. I get that quite a lot. Friday walked back into the tent and took in the scene. Miss Quinn was tidying up. There were papers strewn everywhere, and Ian's pants lay in the middle of the floor. What happened? asked Friday, as she picked up Ian's trousers and inspected them. Wayne Scott was doing the exam, said Miss Quinn. He seemed fine. He was methodically working through the paper. Then, with fifteen minutes left to go, Dr. Belcrady came in. She interrupted the exam, asked Friday. This was surprising. Teachers usually treated exams as being sacred and uninterruptible. She discovered that someone had stolen her USB with the exam paper, said Miss Quinn. The only person with a motive to do that was Wainscott. Friday shook her head, as if shaking off the ridiculous thought. But that doesn't make any sense. Ian would never cheat. She's his girlfriend, Parker explained to Mrs. Quinn. Can't see the fellow's faults. I can too see his faults, argued Friday, turning on Parker. He's narcissistic, cruel, sarcastic and bitter. But Ian would never cheat. He's too proud. Besides, he doesn't need to. He's been studying hard for this exam. I saw him revising formulas over breakfast. Perhaps he's been studying too hard, said Parker, nodding sagely. That can happen, you know. Then you forget everything and you have to cheat. We're not talking about you, Parker, said Friday. We're talking about Ian. His brain doesn't get sucked empty like an aeroplane toilet. He's too clever to need to cheat. Or perhaps he's so clever he thought up a really good way to cheat, said Parker. 
That's ridiculous, said Friday, before turning to Mrs. Quinn. What did Dr. Belcrady say he'd been doing? It was very clever, said Miss Quinn. She said she'd been told that he'd written all the answers on himself using a fluid that was only visible under a black light. That's crazy, said Friday. It sounds crazy, said Mrs. Quinn, but Dr. Belcrady brought a black light with her and shined it on him, and the answers were all there. Where? asked Friday. On his pants, said Miss Quinn, pointed to the pants folded up in Friday's hands. Oh, that makes sense, said Parker. I wondered why he took his pants off. I thought maybe he was going swimming. You're saying there are answers written on these pants in some sort of invisible ink, asked Friday. They can only be seen under a black light. Yes, said Mrs. Quinn. Did he have one on him, asked Friday. Dr. Belcrady found a little flashlight in his pencil case, said Mrs. Quinn, pointing to what looked like an ordinary black pen lying on the grass. Friday picked it up, and when she twisted the cap, the end lit up. It was definitely a black light. She shook out the pants and turned the light on the material. Oh my gosh, exclaimed Parker. The ordinary tan chinos suddenly lit up with dense written text. There were dozens and dozens of answers covering every square inch of fabric. Wow, said Friday. This is impressive. Cheating isn't impressive, said Dr. Belcrady. Friday spun around. The headmistress had returned. She was a little out of breath. Evidently, she'd chased Ian a long way. Did you catch up with him, asked Friday. No, said Dr. Belcrady. He disappeared into the tree line. I'll have to contact his parents. Good luck, said Friday. His mother and stepfather are in Italy, and his father's in the Cayman Islands. Oh, that makes you his next of kin, doesn't it, said Parker. You're step-cousins, aren't you? Hey, can you even be his girlfriend of your cousins? That's a bit wrong, isn't it? Aren't there laws against that kind of thing? We're not genetically related, said Friday, rolling her eyes. Still sounds dodgy to me, said Parker. That's because you have no grasp of Mendelian genetics or genealogy, said Friday. You can't bamboozle me with big words, said Parker. Creepy is creepy. Parker put his arm around Friday's shoulders. But don't worry, it doesn't change how I feel about you. When he breaks your heart, I'll be waiting. Friday shrugged Parker off and turned to Dr. Belcrady. You'd better get a search party looking for him, said Friday. You're going to have to apologise. What, said Dr. Belcrady, after the way he yelled at me? It's understandable in the circumstances, said Friday. He was being wrongly accused. The evidence is right there on his pants, said Dr. Belcrady. Yes, the evidence that someone tried to frame him, said Friday, but that someone did not have an eye for detail. What are you talking about, asked Dr. Belcrady. The whole thing with the black light and the writing on the pants is brilliant, said Friday, sniffing the pants. I think they wrote on it with laundry detergent so Ian wouldn't notice an unusual smell. Several well-known detergents are luminescent. Exactly, said Dr. Belcrady, and from what I've learned about Wainscott, this is just the sort of devious plan he would come up with. It's clever, agreed Friday, but not as clever as Ian. You see, if Ian would go to this much trouble to cheat in an exam, he would at least make sure he had the correct answers written on his pants. What are you talking about? asked Dr. Belcrady. Look at the answers, said Friday. Question one, Charles Dickens. Question two, anthropomorphism. Question three, haiku. Yes, they're the correct answers, said Dr. Belcrady. I wrote the exam myself. I should know. These are the answers for the English paper, said Friday. This morning, Ian was sitting the maths paper. English isn't until tomorrow. He knew that. He was revising algebra formulas at breakfast. Why would he write the English answers on his pants? Dr. Belcrady grabbed the pants out of Friday's hands, shone the black light on them, and was aghast. 
Oh, no, said Dr. Belgrady. That poor boy, he got so upset. Ian is terrified of being expelled. He doesn't have a well-functioning relationship with his parents, said Friday. This is the closest thing to a home he's got. He would be devastated at the prospect of leaving Highcrest. Who would set him up this way, asked Dr. Belcrady. It's just cruel. There are lots of thoughtless, cruel students at this school, said Friday. But the most thoughtless and cruel of them all is Tristan Fanshawe. And Ian did do a similar thing to him last week when he wrongly accused him of being the streaker. That wasn't Tristan, asked Dr. Belcrady, but I gave him detention for a week for that. Anyone could have told you that wasn't Tristan, said Friday. I'm surprised you believed Ian when he said it. What do you mean, asked Dr. Belcrady? Tristan is very lazy and unathletic, said Friday. Whereas if you saw the streaker, you would have noticed rippling abs. Tristan does not have any of those. Rock hard thighs as well, said Parker, and chiseled biceps. Dr. Belcrady and Friday looked at Parker. It's true, said Parker. A fellow'd have to be blind not to notice. So who was the streaker, asked Dr. Belcrady. Some sort of roving Adonis? I'm not going to tell you, said Friday. Gosh, I know, said Parker, suddenly realising. Don't say, said Friday. Binky, cried Parker. Parker, exclaimed Friday. What, said Parker. When you think rippling abs, you think of Binky Pelly. What a mess, said Dr. Belcrady. Yes, you've run off the brightest student in year eight, said Friday. I thought that was you, said Parker. I'm in year 12 now, said Friday. Remember, you were the one who carried my things to my new room. So I was, said Parker. Crikey, remembering all the gossip at this school is harder than keeping up with the classwork. The end. Thank you for listening to support this podcast just by a book by me, R.A. Spratt. There's lots to choose from from across the Friday Barnes, Pesky Kids and Nanny Piggins series. Now there's also the audiobook of The Adventures of Nanny Piggins. You can order them through your local bookstore or go to my website, raspratt.com, and click on the Book Depository banner. They have all my titles and free international shipping. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>